Tonight, I'm going to begin a new six-week series. I'm actually going to stay in the subject, the topic of the Bible. And what I want to do is I want to spend the next six weeks helping us understand the Bible. Here's what I mean. How many of you, when you come to the Bible, you open it up and you just feel insecure. You're thinking, I don't know what I'm reading. I don't understand this. I want to get out of this what it seems like so many others get out of this. That is going to be our subject matter over the next six weeks. Before I pray and ask God to help prepare us for this subject matter, just a couple of reminders. As you made your way in, I hope you were able to get a note sheet. We publish notes Every Wednesday night, they're available on that table next to the sound booth. If you failed to grab one, no shame if you want to get up and go grab it. Love to have you follow along, grab a pen, take notes. If you want to keep your notes together, so you know you keep church bulletins in your Bible and they stack up and then you eventually just throw them all away in one big drop. I get that. I've been there. These notes were actually pro, uh, formatted to go into a three-ring binder that we sell at cost in our bookstore. So if you want to have one of those binders to help collect all of your Foundations notes, guess what? If you come to Foundations for a few years, and many of you have, I've seen many of you for the last several years in this class, the truth is you will accumulate in that little notebook enough material to rival the average seminary education a would-be pastor gets at a local seminary. Truth be told, this class is designed to help take significant steps towards what most pastors learn. We want, in other words, for you to go deep. And for the next six weeks, we're going to go deep on how to understand or interpret the Bible. So why don't you join me as we pray. Let's ask God to help us, and then we'll commence our study tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray now that you would come and that you would help my brothers and sisters. You would stir within their soul a desire to understand your word, to rightly interpret it. I pray you'd give them a taste for the Bible. I pray it would be sweeter to their tongue than honey, honey from the honeycomb, as the psalmist says. I pray they would long for it like a deer pants for water. I pray, O oh God, that we would in truth be men and women of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever found what a conundrum this book is? Most of you own one, if not several. And you know a lot about it. You recognize that what you hold in your hand is a veritable miracle. This is a true miracle. If you rightly believe as we preach and teach here at this church, these are the very words of God. So consider the miracle of this moment. The God who spoke everything into existence, the great almighty creator of heaven and earth, the uncaused caused, the unmoved mover, the one who was and is and is to come, who was before all things and in whom holds and upholds everything. This God miraculously has spoken to us and it's recorded in this book. And so Consider the conundrum. On the one hand, I hold in my hand a miracle. This is a true miracle that God has spoken to me. And herein lies the insidious, sickening conundrum of my heart. On one hand, I know this to be true. 
But on the other hand, tomorrow morning, when I go down to my home office and open this book, do you want to know what's going to happen? I guess I've got to have a devotion today. And then I read my devotion. I don't Tiglath Pileser. I don't how do you even pronounce that? I don't know. I'll go to a psalm. That was kind of good, except, oh, that got a little weird, and I don't really know what he means. Okay, is there like some nugget I can take away from this? I remember hearing that verse. That'll be my nugget for the day. And you forget it before you finish your cup of coffee. You guys ever found it to be true, the strange complexity of our hearts, that on the one hand, we have a great big view of the Bible, and on the other hand, our practice doesn't match it at all? We know this to be God's word, but every time we go to it, we, we just yawn. We struggle. I, I don't want you to raise your hand. But how many of you in your hearts are raising your hand saying, Kyler, I just don't really understand the Bible half the time. When the preacher preaches it, I get it. But every time I try to read it for myself, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm reading. I get motivated every now and then. And so I resolve that tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can. I got my pen. I got my highlighter. I got my uh, notebook. And I'm ready to roll. And I get through a couple chapters of Genesis. I remember these stories. All of a sudden I get to this weird stuff about Lamech killing all these people in chapter 5 and 6. And it's getting weird. Oh, I remember Babel. I remember the flood. I don't know. And then you give up. You hit Leviticus and you're thinking, this is not for me. I, I'm just going to need somebody else to do this for me. Do you find it hard to understand the Bible? I mean, truth be told, raise our hands now. Let's just be shameless. How many of us have found it to be pretty tough to understand the Bible? Now, by the way, I'm raising my hand. And I have paid a lot of money and spent a lot of time getting four degrees in college in the Bible. And I still find it hard to understand. And so tonight, as we consider a few skills, and what I'm going to do this, these next six weeks is I'm going to teach you six basic skills that if you can master these six basic skills, you will go a long way towards understanding the Bible. As we consider these six major skills, I want to give you a few prefatory remarks before we look at our first skill. My first remark is going to get a hearty amen. In fact, I want to literally hear an amen for you because the first thing I want you guys to remember, hear it from the preacher that had to do a lot of schooling. Understanding the Bible is hard, is it not? It's hard. The Bible is admittedly hard to understand. And that's the first thing I want to just like point out. It's the elephant in the room. But bear in mind, it's not that easy to understand. The Bible does have a whole lot of complexity. What I'd like to do is just point out a few things that I trust you're probably feeling in your own mind and heart as you consider, you know, tomorrow morning getting up and opening the Bible, having it on your lap and trying to make sense of it. I wonder how many of you, as you, as you approach the Bible, you can't help but think, my word, Kyler, the Bible just doesn't really seem relevant to me. It, it seems irrelevant. Every time I read it, it just doesn't feel practical. Do you realize, Kyler, I have a job. I have to make payroll. I have four kids in the house. It's all I can do to get them out the door. I, I just don't feel like the Bible is speaking to that part of my life. Sure, it's helping me understand certain doctrinal glorious things, but how does that translate into how I'm supposed to operate my business? How is this supposed to translate in the way I care for my children, the way I relate to my husband or to my wife? I just don't see it to be that practical. How many of you privately are harboring the thought... Kyler, it just doesn't seem that relevant to me. Or how many of you may be privately thinking, you know what, Kyler, for lack of a better word, it just feels like the Bible is 
inaccessible. I, I just don't think I'm smart enough to understand this book. I mean, the truth is, Kyler, you did all the degrees. You understand the Greek and the Hebrew. You, I get that you've done the work. I don't know this. I've, I haven't read a book in 20 years. I'm just not that. I don't think that I have what it takes to make sense of this. Every time I'm in a Sunday school class, there's always somebody that has some great insight, and I always think, I would never have thought of that. And I'm never going to open my mouth because I don't want to embarrass myself. How many of you just feel like, yeah, gosh, Kyler, it just, it doesn't seem like I'm really that good. Every time I start reading, I want, how many of you, show of hands, do this. How many of you, when you start reading, you'll read a paragraph and you're like, I don't know what I just read. I literally read every one of those words and I have no idea. Dirty little secret, I do that all the time. I'm reading and reading and reading, and I'm like, I have been reading for 30 minutes, and I couldn't tell you one thing I just read. I don't feel like I'm smart enough for this. It feels too irrelevant. It feels too inaccessible. I wonder how many of you think, all right, Kyler, this is getting touchy, and I'm ashamed to say this out loud, but honestly, the Bible doesn't really seem to me that necessary. It doesn't seem like it's necessary for me to study this, and here's why. Because I listen to you. I come to church and you tell me what it means. I mean, you're smarter. You've done all the study. Why should I put all this sweat labor into this throughout the week when I know you're going to help make sense of it all? I, isn't that why we pray preachers? What else do you guys do? You're supposed to tell us what the Bible means. So I'll just come to foundations or I'll just come to, you know, Sunday mornings and you'll rightly divide it. You'll help me understand it. And then you know, I'll, I'll be good. It just doesn't seem that necessary for me to do all the hard work that I think it's going to take for me to be able to understand the Bible. Or I wonder how many of you are thinking, Kyler, I, I, I'm ashamed to say this out loud, but the truth is it just doesn't seem all that important. And here's why. I've got so many important things in my life, so many urgent things demanding my attention. I, you just don't realize you have more time to do this than me. Do you realize that it's all I can do to get the kids out the door to school in the morning? I got to slave away at work all day. I get home. It's sports. It's getting kids fed. It's getting them in bed. And by the time my husband and I even have a moment to ourselves, we're just in this catatonic state watching Netflix and then we fall asleep and rinse and repeat the next morning. It, I just don't have time for this. I mean, I'm lucky to squeeze in a little devotion. I don't have time to actually do the hard study to understand God's word. It's just, I, I don't like saying it out loud because it feels terrible to say, but it just really isn't an important thing in my life. There's far too many urgent things. Or maybe this is the one you may be most ashamed of and you don't want anybody to know. But you're like, Kyler, the truth is I have found in my life that every time I start studying the Bible, it starts to seem more and more unreliable to me. Because every time I study it, I start getting aware of debates. I get aware of questions people have, and my doubts start to rise. Instead of my faith getting strengthened, it sometimes feels like my faith is getting weakened. Because I start getting aware of how people have been arguing over the ages, over this, that, and the other. And I, I just don't come away loving God more. I come away wondering, having more questions and answers. It just, uh, my doubts are great. I, I just doesn't feel like it's a reliable thing for me to do the hard work to study the Bible myself. I wonder, does anybody feel that way tonight? And probably the one that's got most of us 
around the neck is that the truth is when you come to the Bible and you actually take it seriously, it starts to just feel impossible because the truth is when you read it, you're like, Kyla, this is just way too foreign. I have trouble understanding like some of the books that my kids are having to read in middle school. They're having to do a book report, and I'm like, I have no idea what that means either. I don't understand that poem. That makes no sense to me. I can't understand the Bible. The Bible is just such a foreign book. It, it was written so long ago. It, it's a, in a whole t- altogether foreign time. I mean, this book is talking about things that were 2,000 to some 6,000 years ago. Have any of you guys found it hard to even read a story that, uh, any sort of book that tells the story of life only 100 years ago? Imagine trying to wrap your mind around something that happened 2,000 to 6,000 years ago. It's a completely foreign time. It's a completely foreign culture. The Bible talks about a type of people that are so unlike you and I, culturally speaking, that it's hard to resonate with. This is what you call an ancient Near East culture, radically different from our own. And when you read the Bible, you'll find lots of things within it that make you scratch your head because you have no cultural connection to it. And so when you're reading things called like a leveret marriage, which is this old rule that if a man dies, his wife goes to his brother automatically in marriage. And you're thinking, what? (laughs) This just feels perverse. I mean, I have no way to, how is the pastor going to preach that text? This is the type of foreign culture I'm talking about. It's hard to understand a book when it's about a time so remotely different from you. It's about a culture that's so remotely different from you. It's even about a geography that's so remotely different from you. The truth is, if I were to attempt to describe my house to you tonight, you hadn't been there, and I just start describing it room by room, that's all well and good, but the truth is, you're not really going to appreciate it till you go there. You're going to be like, Kyler, stop talking. Just take me to your house and show it to me. I'll understand what you were trying to say. Well, the truth is, most of us in this room have not been to the promised land, to the nation of Israel, which, what an apropos moment. This is an unusual moment in that nation, and we ought to be praying for the people of Israel. That, in fact, I, I spoke to one brother tonight. I don't think he's in here. He was supposed to be in Israel on a trip this week. He was supposed to leave, I think, on Saturday, the day the, the war opened. If you have not been to that land, it's hard to even imagine what's transpiring in the Bible because it is a radically different land than the here and now. It's much different from North Carolina and Charlotte. So it's hard to understand some place that you've never been. And then the kicker of all is the truth is it's not only a foreign culture and a foreign time and a, and a foreign geography. It is actually a foreign language. It is not written in our native tongue. You don't know Hebrew, you don't know Greek, and it is hard to make sense of something if you don't know the language it was written in. And you're thinking, how am I ever going to understand this? I don't have time to learn those languages. I don't have time to master the geography. I don't have time to master the culture. I don't understand the time gap. I just, this feels impossible. And if that's you, I want to affirm all those suspicions and just say the first thing we've just got to point out together and then move forward is that understanding the Bible really is hard. That's okay. It is hard, but it's not merely hard. For what I want you to see tonight is though it may be hard, understanding the Bible truly is necessary. 
I want you to see at least, I could come up with several, but I delineated three reasons why understanding the Bible is necessary for you as a believer. Three reasons why it's worth your time to put in the effort. And believe me, I'm going to get to the practical. We're going to understand how to do this. But let me just hit you at the beginning with all these reasons why, because it's critical for us to motivate us to actually do the hard work. One of the reasons why understanding the Bible is necessary is because Bible study is essential for spiritual growth. It's not recommended. It's not advantageous. It is essential for spiritual growth. If you want to grow in Christ, you will grow by the word. Mark in your margin, 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. Peter writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it, the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. That is Peter's Poetic way of saying, if you want to grow spiritually, you have to want the word like a baby wants milk. And what is the one thing that will cause a baby to grow? It is milk. A malnourished child will not grow. So too, a malnourished believer will not grow. And the milk that we long for as new babes in Christ is the milk of the word. Now, sometimes one of the reasons a lot of us get tripped up on Bible study is we don't long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. We long for the steak. And we are infants, so to speak, theologically, and we're choking on pieces that are too big for our little mouths to swallow. You have to start slowly. You start drinking the pure milk of the word, and by it, you will begin to grow. And your child, I pray by age 13, is not drinking bottles of milk any longer. They have now matured to the point where they can cut their own meat and they can digest it on their own. So too spiritually, if you want to see growth in grace, if you want to grow as a believer, if you want to be an acorn that grows into a great oak of righteousness, you must and only can do so by the word. Now here's the trick. So many of us throw in the towel because you come to church every Sunday. You come to foundations on Wednesday and you just feel like you're not growing. You're battling the same sin patterns. You see little to no victory. Your marriage is still down spiraling. The Lord doesn't seem in the midst of it. Your heart doesn't seem to be changing. You're still getting enraged at the person on the highway. You just don't feel like you're growing. And my question to you would be, would any man, woman, or child grow if they only consumed a meal on a Sunday and a Wednesday? The truth is we are made for more than that. And if you are only being fed twice a week or for the great majority once a week and you are not self-feeding throughout the week, take it to the bank, dear brother or sister. You will not grow spiritually. If you long for the pure spiritual milk, as Peter tells us we ought to as believers, you will need to self-feed every day, which is why Learning how to study or understand the Bible is such a critical skill that I pray by God's grace you will grip these next six weeks. It's essential for spiritual growth. I want you to see also it's essential for spiritual maturity. Let's consider maturity. So growth and maturity are closely related. A mature person is one who is rightly representing their age. 
It's somebody that you would expect to be demonstrating what any person that particular age ought to be demonstrating. And the truth is, I wonder how many of you would privately admit, like I have so many times, that you don't. Hebrews 5 Beginning in verse 11 is my favorite passage in all the book of Hebrews. You guys may remember studying Hebrews with our pastor in the pulpit, and I preached several of those messages as well. Hebrews is an interesting book. It's tough. It's filled with a lot of crazy imagery. It starts with talking about Jesus and angels, talks about this high priest, then all of a sudden it hits us with this guy who's named Melchizedek, and you have no idea who he is or what he's talking about, and it goes on for a couple of chapters, and you're like, I don't know what this means. And then all of a sudden... In chapter 5 and verse 11, it's hilarious, actually. If you're reading it, the writer stops. And in verse 11, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait wait a minute. I can tell you guys don't care what I'm talking about. I can tell you all don't know who Melchizedek is or why this matters. You want to know why? In verse 11, it says, it's because you have become dull in hearing. Do you want to know what it means to be dull in hearing? It's to hear, but not really hear. I must confess in my marriage, there is a word that I often utter, and if I utter it, my wife knows I'm hearing, but not really hearing. When she's talking to me, and I respond with, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, she knows I have no idea what she just said. How many of you guys have found that to be true? You're listening, but not really listening. How many of you have found that to be true in the Bible? You're listening, but not really listening. You have become dull in hearing, which is why the writer says, if you want to escape being dull in hearing, he uses this phrase. At the end of, let's see, I've got it in my notes here. At the end of verse 14, he says, solid food is for mature people who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. There is a key word I want you to underscore if you're taking notes. What is the difference between a mature believer and an unmature believer? What is the difference between a believer that can eat solid food and one who just still needs the milk even though they've been walking with the Lord for years? It's one who practices. Have you guys ever found it to be true that there are some people that know a lot about the Bible, but they don't practice it? Therefore, they are utterly spiritually immature. I know a man, I knew him in college, who had the entire Bible memorized. Every word of it. Brothers and sisters, I just finished memorizing the book of Ephesians. I originally set a goal that it would take me four months to do. You want to know how many months it took me to take to memorize it? About 13. <laughs> I miscalculated on that one. And it was hard. And I've got, a bad, I've got a short memory. I nailed it. And today, if you guys wanted me to stand before you and recite all of Ephesians, I'd get to about the middle of chapter 3, and then I'd have to wave the white flag. It just, it happens. Imagine having the whole Bible memorized. And it gets better. This man not only had the whole Bible memorized, he had it memorized in seven translations. Uh, seven, uh, yeah, translations different versions of it. Now let me give you one third and final thing that'll make you most shocked of all. This man who had it all memorized in seven languages didn't believe it. 
He was what we would call a practicing Jew. A practicing Jew is, by definition, one who practices Judaism. And Judaism is not Christianity. In fact, it's what Jesus railed against in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible actually teaches if you claim Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you know not Jesus, you have missed it altogether. No man comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. You do not know the Father unless you know the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. He is not merely the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This man had missed it. And my point I'm trying to emphasize is he knew a lot about the Bible, but he did not actually know it. He had not been transformed by it. His life was not indwelt by the Spirit where he was being changed from the inside out. He was, in other words, not practicing what he preaches. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, it is rampant. That's why there are hundreds of PhDs in theology that commit adultery. That is why there are pastors that fail all the time. Because it is one thing to know God, it is another thing to practice what you have known. If you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you need to be both a hearer and a doer of the word. And you can never become a doer of the word unless you first hear and understand it, which is why our great project is to understand the Bible, not so that we can strut around like peacocks and say, look at what I know. It's so that it will transform us from the inside out, cause us to mature, to grow in grace, and to be able to, praise God, practice that which we have learned. It's essential for growth. It's essential for maturity. Thirdly and finally, it's essential really for spiritual effectiveness, for lack of a better word. The Bible actually teaches us that it is useful for you. It is, mark in your margin, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In other words, the Bible is actually a great gift of God for you. God is going to use this tool to sanctify you. Unlike anything else in your life, God will use the word like a scrub brush to change your heart. I've told this several times before. But when I first read the Bible through from cover to cover, I was a teenager. I did it in a year. It was a big project for me. I'd never done it before. And my student pastor at the time in Oklahoma City, where I was raised, he called me to his office and he asked me to summarize in a statement the Bible, which is no small order. It's like, well, how do you put it in a sentence? And this was my budding theological mind as a 15-year-old, <laughs> not terribly profound. I said, okay. Having read the Bible, I would say something like this. God is unbelievably holy, and I am unbelievably not. And friends, I stand by that summary statement to this day. For every time I read the Bible, I get a greater and greater vision of the glory of God in Christ. I see a bigger, greater, holier God. And every time I do so, I see a smaller, smaller version of me. The Bible, in other words, is training me. It's changing me. Every year I grow with God, I don't feel holy or I actually feel less because the Bible is actually convicting me of my sin. It's showing me Christ. So if you want to grow in a, I want God to be bigger and me to be less, I want to see a bigger, more glorious God, and I want to see a more clear picture of who I am, you will do that by going to the Word. You must understand that studying the Bible, though it is hard, it is necessary. It's essential for spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, 
and spiritual effectiveness. But if you're thinking, you know what, Kyler, be that as it may, necessary as it may be, the truth is, I still don't know that I have the time. Let me put a finer point on it. And thirdly, let me remind you that it's not only necessary, it's commanded or required. Do you guys know where the name Awana came from? Right now, there are a bunch of children on the other parts of our campus doing what's called Awana. It's a worldwide ministry that began in Chicago in the 1950s. And you may think, what on earth does Awana mean? Awana is an acronym derived from this verse that I want you to note, 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 reads, you need to study or do your best to present yourself to God as a, an approved workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Awana, they made that acronym off approved workmen are not ashamed. That's where Awana comes from. And I want you to see that it is in this verse, penned by Paul, inspired by God himself, where we see the command of Christ for you and I to be independent students of God's word. In this verse, I want you to see that there is a command for us to give our full effort and attention to studying the Bible. Let me note just a few things we see in this text. First, I want you to note that a Bible student, somebody who's seeking to understand the Bible, they need to be faithful. You, you need to be somebody who takes this job seriously and is faithful to the task. Underscore, if you have in your notes, the word workman, an approved workman. That word workman in the Greek is ergetes, which means a laborer. This is, in other words, not somebody who's just phoning it in. A workman is somebody who is sweating. They're working, they're doing labor, they're having to work with their hands, they're, they're moving for a living. And when Paul uses the analogy, you need to be a workman with the Bible, he is in other words saying, you need to recognize that this is going to require faithfulness. It's going to require hard work, perspiration. You're going to have to recognize that understanding the Bible is not going to be fed to you on a silver spoon. It just won't come that way. It, it will take a little bit of effort which some of you are automatically thinking, I'm out. I just don't know that that's for me. Just consider the analogy of my little girl. I have a five-year-old daughter, Eliza, as so many of you know. Eliza is being homeschooled by my wife, and Lauren started to teach her in kindergarten this year. And Eliza is sitting at our dining room table a couple weeks ago, and she's learning to read, and she's made some pretty great progress, but every now and then, some word that she knows trips her up. And so as I'm walking out the door, I notice that she is trying to read the word stop, which she knows she's read it a hundred times. And so she's going, stop, 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 mom, I can't do this. Now, would my wife say, you know what, just go play. I guarantee you she's tempted. I sure would be. There's a reason why I'm not homeschooling that girl. But Lauren knows, like any good parent, that Eliza knows this, and if she just puts a little bit more effort into it, what seems impossible is entirely possible. And you just know this from experience. Anything you've ever done in this life, it was hard at first. But once you put just a little bit of effort into it, you will get it, and you'll be able to repeat it. This is what happens with studying the Bible. It feels initially 
difficult, if not impossible. But if you just put one foot in front of the other and you're faithful to stay at it, you will find yourself to be, as Paul commands us to be, a workman. But that's not the only thing this verse points out. I want you to note also that he says you need to do your best as a workman. That word, do your best, is actually one word in the Greek. The word is spudazo. And that word literally means you need to work really hard or be diligent in almost a fast, hasty matter. And I want you to see what this word means for us. It means not only should we be faithful, we need to be committed to this task. This requires continuous exertion. So here's what I mean by that. Newsflash, disclaimer, if you think you're going to become a scholar of the Bible after six weeks here and be like, I have done all the training I need, I am ready to rip into it, that probably won't happen. (laughs) You need to continuously do this. Doing your best means working at it continuously. The word is actually in the continuous sense. Keep on doing your best to be this workman. So this needs to become a priority for you. You're not only going to faithfully stick to it, you need to recognize that you're going to be You're going to have to stay committed to this in the long haul. You are, in other words, laboring to become a lifelong student of the Word. And what greater enterprise to devote your life to than to understanding the very words of the very God. Do your best, he says, to be a workman. But here's a strange phrase. Rightly handling the word of truth. Or maybe you know like I do this verse in the King James, rightly dividing the word of truth. What on earth does that mean? It's actually one word in the Greek, orthotomeo, and it literally means you need to cut straight the word. And you're thinking, Pastor, I still don't know what that means. (laughs) That's clear as mud. How do you cut straight the word? Just consider, for example, I am not a carpenter. I'm what you would call an armchair carpenter. I have moments of brilliance where I think I'm one, but I'm not really. I had one a month ago. I had some Ikea bookshelves in my home office that looked pretty terrible, and I saw on uh, YouTube a hack where you can space them out just right, buy wood from Home Depot, frame it all out, and make what looks like custom built-in bookshelves. So I committed myself to that task. I went to Lowe's far too many times than is necessary with my head hung down every time I'd go because I'm not a good carpenter. I wasn't measuring stuff right. Had to buy stuff, wasted a lot of money. And when I finally was in the uh, garage making all of my preparation to cut this wood, do you want to know what I learned by trial and error? What was the most critical skill? It was cutting that wood straight. For if I failed to, if that is not plumb, everything's going to get wonky real quick. And just ask my wife. There were several pieces I nailed up there. She's like, nah, that's coming back down. (laughs) My friends, this is the imagery. When he says you need to learn how to rightly handle or rightly divide or cut straight the Bible, he's saying you need to handle it with care. You need to recognize how to perfectly cut a line so that truth is divided from error. You shouldn't be willy-nilly with this. You shouldn't just be haphazard with this. You shouldn't be irreverent with this. This is a holy writ. This is the Bible. And so when you're seeking to understand it, you need to take seriously the fact that you need to pay attention to what you're doing here. You shouldn't just say whatever you think it means and say, God will forgive me if I'm wrong. You want to rightly understand this book. So that means we need to not only be faithful and committed, we need to be careful. 
you must be careful when it comes to understanding the Bible. Take this seriously and lastly note that we're going to be accountable because the Bible says we are doing this before someone who's approving us. We must be one approved, the verse says. Now here's the dirty little secret. Most of us when it comes to understanding the Bible are doing so under the approval of our spouse or of our Sunday school class, maybe even our children. We want to be approved by them. We want to be knowledgeable enough to say something insightful in class. Or we want to be knowledgeable enough to not look embarrassed in front of our wife. Or we want to be knowledgeable enough to be able to answer our child's perplexing question and not look like a dummy. I get that. It's very easy. As a preacher, it's most difficult to preach God's word week in and week out and not do so to seek just the approval of the congregation. But the truth is, I and you, we all indeed are approved unto God alone. We have an audience of one, which means we must also recognize we are accountable before our great God as we are rightly dividing his word, as we are seeking to understand it. So remember, dear friends, yes, understanding the Bible is hard, but it's necessary and it's required of us. So let's conclude our study tonight then by getting to the question or the statement you all have been waiting for. And here's good news to end on. Though it's hard, Fourthly and finally, I want you to see it is possible. And for the next six weeks, I'm going to spell out six simple skills. And I don't use the word simple lightly. These are simple skills. No matter what your education background is, no matter what your exposure is to the Bible, these six skills are within your grasp. You can hold on to these six skills. And if you master them, I trust riches will be unfolding for you as you begin to study God's word. And the first skill that I want you to consider with me tonight is one that will probably shock you. The first thing you need to learn to do is you need to learn to see. To see. Here's what I mean. I want you guys to just take a brief look up on the screen. Y'all just take a good look at that. See all the clutter? Just kind of look around. Now, I want you guys to take that down, Christina, and I want you guys to pull out your notes if you have a pen, and for the next 30 seconds, I want you to write down as many things as you saw on that screen. Ready? Go. Number them. This is a straight competition. Shame the person at your table. Go. How many things did you see? Nobody's really going to look. Just write it down. Did you see much? What'd you see? Surely you saw that coffee cup, and if I gave that away, my word, friend, you're not gonna win this competition. <laughs> What'd you see? You write it down. Just jot down all the things you saw. How many of you, by a show of hands, could say, Kyler, I remember at least five things I saw? How many of you could say, by a show of hands, I saw and remembered at least 10 things? Even if I didn't have time to write it down, I saw at least 10. Everybody look back up at that screen. Let's look back up. There are far more than five things on that screen. It's a silly little illustration that reminds us often we see but don't really see. Let's look at another illustration. I want you guys to write down how many squares there are on that sheet of paper. Take a look at it. Give you a few, 20 seconds or so. Take a look at that. 
How many squares do you see? Okay. Show of hands. Raise your hand if there are at least 20 squares. Okay. Did anybody see 25 squares? Anybody see more than that? Anybody see 26? 27? Whose hands left? How many squares? You saw 30? Serafina would be so proud. You are exactly right. There are 30 squares. Now, some of you are thinking, what glasses is she wearing? I don't see 30 squares. Well, you see, of course, 4, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Then you see the four composite squares. So that's 16 plus 4. There's 20. But then you look at a 3 by 3. So 21, and then 22, and then 23, and then 24. And then, uh, let's see. The big one is 25. What am I missing? I've done this before. Oh, yeah. Then the two by twos. You don't just do the four. You also do 26 and 27 and 28 and 29. And then the big one is a big number 30. Can you believe it? You look at that and you're thinking, you know what? I wasn't seeing that originally, but now it makes complete sense. Everybody look up here now before you guys beat your head crazy. Some of you are like, Kyler, I see these little things on Facebook all the time. I'm always dominating these things. I'm feeling a little embarrassed. I wonder how many of you guys tonight, how many of you all know how many stoplights are between your house and your place of employment? You see it every day. Does anybody know how many houses are on your street? You drive by it twice a day at least. You guys are about to get a little peek behind the curtain in my marriage. How many of you guys, and by that I mean you men, how many of you men know what your wife wore to church on Sunday? There's a little joke in my marriage. Lauren always asks me after Sunday, was my hair straight or curly yesterday? And I always get it wrong. <laughs> how many of you know how many windows are on the front of your house? That beautiful tree in your front yard, have you ever noticed how many limbs there are on the trunk? You look at this stuff all the time, guys. Here's the point. It is very common for us to see, but not really see. Found that to be true? You could just kind of see things, but not really see them. And that is true when it comes to the Bible. When we read the Bible, so often we, we see, but we don't really see what's there. I want tonight to ask you guys to do one simple exercise with me. This is somewhat interactive. You won't be embarrassed. You won't have to talk out loud. It's just a private exercise. But I want you to consider with me something as simple as just a given Bible verse, perhaps the most famous verse in the book of Acts, Acts 1 and verse 8. I've asked Christina to put it up on the screen, Acts 1 and verse 8. And in Acts 1, 8, I just want you guys to read it with me. In fact, let's read it out loud. That's kind of interactive. Let's read together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You guys are going to be shocked. But if I were to suggest the first step towards learning how to interpret, to understand a verse like this, the first step I would recommend is you need to learn to see.
what's already there. Here's how this works. You don't have to be smart. You just got to have to have two eyes and a pen. What I want you to do is just for the next few moments, if you have notes, take out your pen. And I want you to write down everything you see. You can look up at the screen or if you want to open to Acts 1-8 on your Bible on your table, that's great too. Just look at it. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe you're going to point out everything you don't understand. You're going to read it and say, I don't know about Jerusalem. I've kind of heard that city, but I don't know much about that. Judea, I don't know where that is. Samaria, is that a girl? What is that? Uh, and to the end of the earth, what does that mean? Is that a flat earther? What's the end of the earth? What does that mean? Or you'll see the word but. Oh, okay, no, but people don't usually start a sentence with but. So what's that talking about? What's that referring to? Those are the type of questions. Just anything you see, and guess what, friends? There's no wrong answer. I want you to see how many things you can just observe for the next few minutes. I'm going to let you do that now. Just like awkwardly stare at that screen and just look at it for a few minutes. Then I'm going to call you back and I'm going to make my point. Look at it now. What do you see? There's no bad question to ask. There's no wrong observation to make. But what's that referring to? Who is the you? You will receive power. Who's you? Will receive. Will means it's not happened now. It's going to happen. That's future tense. So when's this going to happen? What kind of power, like electricity or strength or authority? What's the power they're talking about here? Probably most of you know the Holy Spirit. How can the Holy Spirit come upon you? That sounds like a blanket coming upon you. What? What does that mean? Who's my? You will be my witnesses. Who's talking right now? What is a witness? Like at a crime scene? What does it mean to be a witness? Why did this writer choose to name Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? Those are some questions to ask. I've already made the joke, but what on earth is the end of the earth? Is that the end of the land like at the Mediterranean Sea? Is it faraway lands? What are they talking about here? You just look. Look, what do you see? Let me draw your attention back here just for the sake of time, and this is our, a new endeavor for most of us. Now let me give you an illustration on the first time I learned to see. It's in my undergraduate years as a Bible college student, freshman in my class on interpreting the Bible. And my professor put before us, not this verse, but John 3.16, as I now recall. And he asked us to just do this. But I gave you about four minutes, maybe three and a half. Guess how long he gave us? He said, you have the next 30 minutes. Observe this. Which we were all like, 
So we did it, and we worked hard because we are budding theologians, and we wanted to win. So we just started to write everything down we could. And I was feeling really great about myself when I had about 30 observations when it was all said and done. And after we were all going around the room telling everybody what we had seen, he said, great, you have an hour. Do it again. And we were like, what? So we will look back down, and I think I got my 30 up to like 50-ish, and guys, I was scraping the bottom of the barrel for this. And when he finished, he told us that he himself had made over 200 observations of John 3.16, which was admittedly a testimony to his brilliance. But here's the point. Do you want to know what happened? Having never done any study at all of that verse, guess what happened? I was so familiar with it because I had spent so much time looking at it that all of a sudden questions that I needed to answer, I knew where to look now. For example, how many of you have ever watched a movie before and you're lost? Like, I, this plot is weird. I don't, I don't know. And then it, all of a sudden it kind of makes sense at the end of the movie. And you're like, i got to go back and watch that. Now that I know how this all works out, I'm going to appreciate this more. And then you go back and watch it again, and you're like, oh, that's what that, okay. You start to make all these connections. That's the same with the Bible. If you actually just slow down and look at what's there, guess what's going to happen? You're going to become familiar in your ignorance. You're not going to know much about it at all. But you're going to become so familiar with it that all of a sudden you're going to know what to look for. You're going to be able to talk about what you don't know. You're going to be able to look at resources and say, I needed that answer. I wanted to know why on earth he would list Samaria. I get Jerusalem and Judea. They're in the same place. But why Samaria? You, all, you were looking for it because you knew what to look for. And the same thing if you watch a TV show. You watch it all the way through, you finally understand how it all makes sense, you go back and you watch it again, you're like, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. Or for example, if, you have a, uh, if you're in the business world and you have a lunch appointment, the worst thing in the world, this, as a pastor, this is tough too, if you go to lunch with somebody and you don't know anything about them, it's like a blind date, so to speak. You're going to this meal and you're like, I don't even know what to ask. I don't know anything about this guy. It is so much more helpful if you go into any appointment knowing something about them so that you know what to ask. So too, the first step towards learning to understand the Bible is you just need to learn to use your two eyes, to just look at what's there. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, if you have it as your habit to open God's Word, here's the first skill I want you to pursue. I want you to just open that Bible, get out a little pen and paper, and whatever passage you were looking at that you plan to read, I just want you to write down everything you see. You may say, Kyler, you may be thinking about me, cursing me in your heart as you're reading this. You're like, I don't know this. I don't know this. Uh, this is just a testimony of my ignorance. I am listing out everything I don't understand. And do you want to know what's going to happen? If you spend 10 minutes doing that, I promise you, you will get more out of your Bible study than if you had just quickly read through it. For so often we see, but don't really see. If you just start slowing down and looking at what's there, it is amazing what will happen. Here's why. Because God doesn't play fair. God has rigged the game. 
Do you want to know what God has done? It's a great gift, and you ought to praise Him for this. God uses His Spirit to open our eyes to behold wonderful things from the Bible. There's a psalm I pray every morning, Psalm 119 and verse 18. Mark that down, put it on your fridge or on your bathroom mirror or inside your Bible. Psalm 119 and verse 18. That psalm reads, open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. I pray it every morning because I wake up with my eyes crusty, my soul crusty, and I'm just like, ugh, I gotta do this again. And I say, Lord, forgive me, help me. Open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. And guess what happens? The Spirit does what only He can do to unfold riches to me. If you don't believe me, take it from my experience. Some of the most profound insights I have ever heard uttered about the Bible have not come from fellow PhDs. It's come from little kids who with childlike faith ask the question nobody's willing to ask. Any of you worked with kids and have found that some of them have the most insightful, wonderful questions? Do you want to know what some of the most soul-stirring, spiritually insightful comments are made to me on a Sunday after my sermon? It's not by the seminarian. It's by the elderly lady who has no theological education in her life but loves the Lord Jesus and has been a student of the Word for 30 years. And she'll come up to me and make some insight that she doesn't realize how much it has moved my soul. Brothers and sisters, God has rigged the game. He does not delight in letting the wisdom of man show forth. He shames the wise by upholding the foolish. He shames the strong by upholding the weak. And so today, as I preached to you guys just a couple weeks ago on that gather, Sunday morning gathering, if you don't feel like you're smart enough, if you don't feel like you really have what it takes, praise God, there is a spirit who is studying with you. And so tomorrow morning when you open your Bible, you just pray, oh God, would you open my eyes to behold wonderful things? Help me to see you. Help me to see me for who I really am. And just write down what you see. And that'll be the first step towards understanding the Bible. And when you come back next week, we're going to take a second step because that's not enough. If you just do that, you can go wrong really quickly, by the way. You can just spiritualize anything you want out of the Bible and make it say whatever you want. That's why there's a second step we're going to take next week, a second skill. You come back next Wednesday and we're going to learn just how we can be found as those Paul described, as those who do their best to present themselves to God as workmen approved who have no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why don't you join me as we pray, and we'll call it a night. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do pray for my dear brothers and sisters that you would open their eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. As I pray for my own soul every morning, Lord, do it for my friends. Oh, help us to see the riches that are there. Let us not just rake the leaves on the top. Let us dig for the diamonds that are just beneath the surface. I pray that you would grant them the grace to do just that. And as they see, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to see what they don't know, what they need to find out. I pray you'd encourage them by opening their eyes to see what they do know. And in so doing, Lord, I pray that they would find themselves growing more and more motivated to do their best to present themselves to you as a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly 
dividing your word of truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.